Luke chapter 9, verse 37. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions, so he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. O unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and made him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Just so far. Well, let's pray. Let's close our eyes. Gracious Father, we, we thank you for just a testimony of the reality of who you are and that we are in a world that is filled with chaos, uh, that is filled with disappointments, that is filled with frustrations. But Lord, that as we come together this morning to hear from your word as well, that we will hopefully see that there is so much more to this life that we are living than just this world. And that your son Jesus Christ came into this world for a purpose and for a plan that is to save us from chaos, from destruction, from all the frustrations that we, that we face. But maybe not now, maybe it doesn't seem like that, but that there is a hope that is in you, a hope of life. A uh, hope of peace, of understanding, of love. And Lord, that as we turn to you more and more, we grow in those things. So Lord, be with us this during this time as we look at your word now. Open our hearts to, to understand and to hear what you have to say to us. And Lord, may we also walk out of here with stories to share with one another of your incredible and personal work in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think that suffices as an introduction, um, a very practical one, and hopefully that resonates in some of you. Um, something similar maybe, maybe you can relate to it just in certain ways where you feel, man, that actually just sounds like my week. 
Um, so thank you, Zon. I appreciate that. And I think it's true for all of us. When we, when we look out into the world and look at the things around us, yes, there's this absolute chaos, uh, whether it's health-related, whether it's traffic-related, whether it is just people that you're engaging with, whether it's the way people think about things, uh, there's chaos. Chaos. But hopefully this morning we can answer the question that JJ asked us early on, uh, what is this passage about? Is it about the chaos? Is it about all these frustrating things? Or is there an actual answer to uh, what Luke is trying to do here? So before we begin with looking at this passage in, in and of itself, uh, if you were here last week, Ludwig looked at the transfiguration that took place. Uh, Jesus went up with James, Peter, and John, and there on the mountain, there was this incredible experience. There was the glory of God revealed, in a sense, that as they stood there, these things were happening where Moses appeared, Elijah appeared, and there was Jesus that suddenly became bright as lightning. And then God spoke. God spoke to the disciples that were there, to Peter, John, and James. And we'll touch on that a little bit later. But you have this incredible image taking place. And as I was preparing for it, I, I was reminded of another image that we have. If you go further back in your Bible, and maybe you'll remember the story, but you have the situation where, where, where Israel is at the foot of Mount Sinai. And you have Moses who's on this mountain and God and meeting with God there. And there Moses stands and God gives him the Ten Commandments and the story progresses. And eventually it gets to the point in Exodus 32 where God says, go down to the people who are at the foot of this mountain who didn't want to go up because they absolutely feared this all-powerful God. And as Moses gets to the bottom of the mountain, he sees this golden calf and he smashes the Ten Commandments and he is absolutely frustrated at what's happened because he has left them for a short period of time. Well, for them it felt like a long period of time. But in the bigger scheme of things, he left them for such a short period of time that it was long enough for them to lose sight of the God that brought them out of Egypt. There was chaos, absolute chaos. They started worshipping this other God. This, there was just, they lost sight. I mean, they just came out of Egypt. They were miraculously delivered out of slavery. And here they forgot. And so it kind of seemed like a similar connection being made here. Here's Jesus now on this mountain and meeting with with not just God in the in the mix of things but there's also Moses himself and Elijah and so today's passage we pick up what really blew me away we pick up in verse 37 it says the next day when they came down from the mountain a large crowd met him so I want to pause just for a moment there 
what blew my mind as we considered the as as I worked through this is here they're on this mountain and, and if you remember Moses was the one that came down last time to convey this message and these commandments. But as I read this, it blew my mind because here, God Himself, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, God, man, He was coming down. Not Moses, not a mediator. God Himself, in the form of Jesus Christ, was coming down this mountain to step into chaos. To step into a situation that quickly unfolded of his disciples being unable to deliver a demon-possessed boy. And that wasn't the only chaos. That wasn't the only crazy thing going on. But you'll see as we go. So as Jesus steps into the situation, the crowd is there. um, And he tells Jesus about the fact that the rest of the disciples, because we assume that this was the nine that weren't able to deliver this boy from this demon. Um, and so the crowd with the rest of the disciples and Jesus coming down and they're meeting at this point at the foot of the mountain. And we see just the, the language that's used. If you pick up in verse 39, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. If you go to Mark's account of the same story, you find that it, the, the boy is actually gets thrown into fires and into the water to be drowned. It, it's crazy. It's destructive. It's, it's chaos. And then we see Jesus, he responds, Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. And we know that the outcome of that is Jesus heals the boy. The next thing I want to pick up, if, if we just jump a little bit further ahead to verse 46, is we see this outbreak of an argument says in 46, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. I mean, why? You're standing with Jesus Christ and you want to argue about who is the greatest amongst you. I mean, we read it now and it actually sounds ridiculous. And here's Jesus, he's standing there in their midst Not only is he standing in their midst, if you jump just to the previous section, he reveals who he is in the sense that he needs to be handed over to men. The Son of Man is going to be handed over into the hands of men. I mean, he reveals this to them. And if that's not enough, look a little bit closer. Verse 44, it says, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. This is what Jesus says. And at least the three disciples that were on the mountain should have actually heard that and recognized it. Because if you turn back to 35, it says, a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. I mean, there's no excuse. And what are they doing? They're standing there trying to argue amongst themselves who is greater. It's crazy. 
Jump a little further to 49, verse 49. Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Why? Why do you want to stop him? I mean, Jesus responds. He says, don't, do not stop him. For whoever is not against you is for you. Mark expands that a little bit further. If a man does something in my name, why do you want to stop him? Isn't he doing something good? Isn't it the right thing to do? Why do you want to stop him? Who, Who do you think you are? I was left a little bit curious with the, the use of the, the language there where it says, we tried to stop him. So I wonder if they actually got it right. <laughs> but why would you want to stop them from doing something that is good? And if it's in Jesus' name, it is, even, it is the best thing. So why? And as I thought this through and as I was wrestling with this, it's just upside down. Everything is just upside down at this point. Jesus comes down from this mountain, and there are there's just as he steps into the situation, there is chaos. Demon possessed boy, disciples arguing about who is greater, and them thinking that they have the authority to determine who should and shouldn't, in fact, help people and save people and heal people. Why? So what is this passage really about? So I've got three questions there that I want us to think through. Do we hear what this passage is about? Are are we listening to what it's really about? And I I, want to be able to paint that picture that you can see what's actually happening on the surface. That there is something that is happening underneath the surface that we need to dig into and we need to see that there is something more happening here. Do we hear what's happening? Do we, can, we, can we listen to what's really happening in this passage? So let's answer that question that JJ put out for us. What is this passage about? Well, I've given you the answer. The answer is there. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. I can stop there, but let's see why it's all about Him. Well, firstly, we see that it's about him because he was the one that was able to heal this boy. And we don't know why in this case, or well, Luke doesn't show us, at least in this case, why they weren't able to heal him. Uh, in Mark's case, there's a little bit more that's given, a little bit more information where Mark actually says, well, this one only comes out with prayer. But prayer is turning to God. Prayer is seeking God in the midst of it. This is not something that you can do on your own. This is not something that you have just some ability. And we know that the disciples were given authority by Jesus. But they can't lose sight that they need to turn to Jesus Christ, to God, to be able to do this. In the argument that takes place in 46 to 48, Jesus makes it clear. It's not about your greatness. It's not about that. 
And he paints a beautiful picture in 48. He says, Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. Even in that answer, he's not talking about their greatness. Because the first thing he really says is about welcoming. Welcoming who? Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Greatness starts with God. Greatness starts with opening your life to God and His Son, Jesus Christ. It's not about you. And if you really take the words of Jesus to heart and you go back in Luke, he, he calls his disciples to pick up their cross and to follow him. I mean, really, it's not about you. And 49 to 50, Jesus gives us the answer again that if they are serving him and if they are doing his will, people are doing his will and doing it in his name we mustn't go around stopping them it's not about what they're doing it's about who they're serving who are those people serving because if they are serving jesus christ and that's right maybe you've noticed that i've skipped over that middle piece now i want to draw our attention back now to to verse 43 to 45. Because I think that the truth that lies in that is what solidifies for us. It solidifies for us that this is about Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. Because here you have this incredible story taking place with Jesus healing this boy. And Luke tells us that he kind of while the people are still marveling, he pulls the disciples aside and he says, Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be handed over into the hands of men. This is why Jesus came. He came into this world, and we look at it now, we understand it so much more clearly because we know the whole story. But maybe in that moment, we can actually grasp for a moment. They didn't know, well, what does it mean? What do you mean hand over in, being handed over into the hands of men? Like, you know, yeah, there's a bunch of people there. Are you talking about them? No, but we look at it from our point of view now and we suddenly see, but we know the story of Jesus. We understand what he was coming to do. And we see that when he is saying this, he was referring to the fact that he came into this world. He came into this world of chaos, of destruction, of sickness, of just disorder. And he came in for the sake of man. To save man. And we know this that as it progresses, we see the story unfold, that he is handed over so that he may die on a cross, that he may rise again, so that those that believe in him may have life. 
So verse 45, the disciples looked, but they, they did not understand. They did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. So my next question is, do you, sitting here today, understand the implications of not only what Jesus said here, or what he was doing in this passage, but of everything that he was doing? That this passage here just gives us a glimpse of Jesus, of who we serve. That he entered this world of chaos, that he came down from this mountain in a sense, as we see the story progress, and he starts bringing order out of chaos. And he starts bringing clarity. And he starts revealing that no matter what's happening in your world, no matter what's happening around you, no matter how upside down things are, it's not about you. Because if it is about you, you're going to feel the hardship and the difficulties and the struggles of these things happening. But when you start turning to Christ in the midst of it, He helps us to see that there is something more. He helps us to understand that there is hope, that there is life, that there is grace. All of it hinges on Him. So maybe you don't feel like you can grasp that right now. Maybe you're struggling to believe that. Maybe your week was, you're at that point in your week where you're just looking back and going, I, it was just too difficult. I, I, can't, I can't yet grasp that or understand that. Or actually, I just don't want to believe that Jesus is the answer to my difficult week. Or that Jesus is the answer to my struggle that I'm facing in life. Or Jesus is the answer to the question that I actually am too afraid to ask. And perhaps we just need to begin by listening. Because He is the answer. And to understand, we need to turn to His Word. We need to look and read and meditate on it. Talk about it with one another. Share in what He is doing in our lives. If it is a struggle you face, share the struggle that you're facing. Who knows? Maybe someone next to you will say, I've gone through that same thing. But let me tell you what Jesus Christ has done for me. See, we can't live out our faith in silence. And we can't live it out like the disciples who were in fact too afraid to ask. But let's be willing to ask so we can understand. And so how do we put this into even more practice? What do we do? Well, we need to begin by believing. Do you believe that Jesus is the answer to your circumstance? Do you believe that Jesus is the answer to your struggle? To your chaos? To the world that you are living in? Do you believe that He is the answer? And maybe that's 
hard to just say yes. But I want to compel you to think it through. To be moved by the reality that no matter how chaotic your life may seem, I'll tell you one thing that is so profound. That one event that seemed more chaotic than any other event in history is the very event that saved your life. That what Jesus came to do, and when you look at that story, when he was put before the judges, when he was before Pilate, when he was flogged, and when he was made to carry his cross, and when he was nailed to it, the world looked like chaos. But out of that arose our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he died for our circumstance. And we need to thank him for that. We need to thank him for the life that he brought for us through that. And that he rose into life so that we may also rise into life. And we need to remind one another of that. We need to remind one another of the good news of that. In fact, the greatest news is that. Because no matter how hard our lives can get, nothing can erase that from history. Nothing can erase that from what it means to serve Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the only one. It is all about Him. So, over tea now, maybe that's our challenge. Don't just rush off. Don't just be focused on making your tea. But be focused on the person next to you. Have a talk with them. And be willing to share how you've realized that Jesus Christ is the order in your chaos. That He is the one that saves you out of your circumstance. That He is the one that gives you a hope. That He is the one that gives you life. And that nothing, nothing in this world can rob you of that. Nothing. Will you have those conversations over tea time after this? While you're having tea and biscuits? Will you share that good news with one another? Because I can tell you now, there are people here that are needing to be encouraged by that good news. And there are others that are needing to share it so that they may better believe it. So let's close our eyes. Let's commit all of these things to God. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the good news that it is. That your son came into this world, stepped into the midst of this chaos. Not just for that, but for the sake that we may be rescued from it. Maybe we don't feel like that. Maybe we don't yet grasp the, the greatness of what you've done for us. Maybe we're struggling with it. Maybe we don't want to believe it. Maybe we do believe it, but we have doubts about it. That in the same passage in Mark's gospel, we're reminded of the Father, 
of that boy. Where he says to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Heavenly Father, help us where we struggle to believe. Help us to share with one another our real personal experiences as we walk this road of being brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, a day like this where we, in one sense, we do it out of routine, but also that we get to set aside, that we get to share with one another, that we get to encourage one another, that we get to point one another back to you and help us do that throughout our week. Lord, how, how amazing will it be that we don't live for a Sunday, but that every day becomes a day that we can do your work, serving you, loving you, pointing people to you. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name.